0: Um, I I I don't know how how are you going to rant if you're in a, but wait a second. But you in a good mood. I mean that is even weirder.
1: I I am generally in a good mood. People piss me off with stupid, and I don't have patience for it. And that's why I usually get in a foul mood. Uh, I'm actually a generally happy person.
0: I see you you um uh, you hide that very well very often. I do. Because I don't get emotional
1: i I was told as a child not to be emotional about anything
0: i th- I think you're still a sensitive little kid somewhere in oh, there oh
1: son of a bitch
0: you are anyway shall shall we shall we get started you you started this time again
1: okay. no you should introduce' because my introductions are stupid you sure yeah yeah mine are goofy
0: okay. hey
1: there we are here's code. <laughs> you you have more of a radio voice than I do
0: oh right Yeah. Uh, I so have a radio face. Anyway. Um.
1: <laughs> you posted a picture of it the other day.
0: Hello friends, and welcome back, welcome back to the GMS Magazine podcast, The RPG Room. As you can imagine, because the title is pretty, pretty self-explanatory, this is a podcast all about RPGs, role-playing games. Don't get all mistaken with those rocket launcher propeller things, because I know that I bet some of you American listeners will have some of those rocket launchers in your sitting room. Bad people. I am Paco Garcia, your host, as usual. Happy Mental today. It's my birthday. Happy birthday to me. And I am with my co-host, Jim
1: Pinto. Happy birthday, Paco.
0: Thank you. Thank you very much. I I feel one year um, stupider um, and that's it, really. I don't know how you've been through this. How is a 44-year-old man meant to feel? Because people say things like, "Oh, I don't feel like forty-four. I don't feel like forty. What the hell does that (laughs) That, mean? How do you?" That is so stupid. Exactly. I remember when I turned
1: thirty, I said I don't feel any different. But when I turned thirty-one, I felt different. I my body was starting to change. I felt my metabolism slowing down. I felt. uh, I felt older. I wasn't behaving any older. But my body felt older. And I think what ends up happening is the, the decline into death is so slow and gradual. To say that you don't feel forty four or forty six or forty eight or fifty, that's just a stupid thing to say because you feel the way you feel because your body is deteriorating slowly, yeah. not
0: quickly. Wow, that's quite a you know, um not very cheerful thing to say. You know, no. I happy I, birthday. Thank you, thank you. You know you know one year <laughs> that I genuinely felt different and very, very good about myself. When I turned 34. Really? Yeah, um, because I, I looked and said, I have outlived you, Jesus. Suck it up. <laughs> wow, setting the tone for the episode. I, I. Anyway, you said you were going to rant.
1: Yeah, I need to get a little rant out of my system before we talk today.
0: Okay, what have I done um, now? What's that? What have I done now?
1: You. Well, you don't do anything. Okay. I mean, literally, you don't
0: do anything. Uh, okay, that's harsh but true yes Uh, happy birthday thank you
1: (laughs) every time i say something shitty to you today i'm just gonna follow up with happy birthday thank you which by the way i never say to anybody oh so you should feel yeah i i don't sing happy birthday at parties i walk out when people start singing it's weird i don't even tell people nobody knows my birthday really yeah.
0: You have to tell me later. off of, of. nope. Yeah. So, nope. I, so I can be Nobody the only knows. I, I just want to be the only person to know it. I, you know, I just want to well, feel special being the only person to know it. And I promise I will never, ever tell anyone or say happy birthday to you in public ever. We'll see. Okay. We'll anyway, run away.
1: So um, I'm going to get a little personal here for just a second. And uh, I don't do this ever. You know, I don't do this. And people that listen to us yeah. normally mm-hmm. know I don't do this. But uh, I've been thinking a lot about our last three podcasts and I don't want to ever talk about them again. I don't want to rehash anything that we've talked about, but I want to talk about something that kind of comes up a lot. I see on the internet, I see people when they're posting their personal issues about gaming or things that they're going through. I want to talk about what it was like growing up in the age that I was gaming and how that impacted me and maybe the. The the little bit of rage that I'm feeling about it and also maybe some of the advice that I can give. Uh, And to do that, the first thing I have to do is once again reiterate how much I hate buzzwords, how much I hate when people say things like toxic masculinity, when people say patriarchy, when people use these words to replace actual ideas. I believe that those words have some kind of meaning Mm -hmm. to people. I think they replace thought and they create an echo chamber of just repetitive ideas that don't go anywhere so when people are using those kinds of phrases to talk about the gaming industry i don't think they're getting through to anybody but their own echo chamber so i'm going to start with that sort of caveat that disclaimer so i grew up in the 70s and 80s um i'm that old you and i were just talking about how old we are Mm. we are i am that old and when I got into gaming in 81, it was not something you could tell other people you did. You hit it. And I also grew up in an age where the I know we live in an age where how you look is very important and you get judged throughout all of your public school life if you don't dress appropriately or whatnot. But I grew up very poor. So the way I looked was extremely impactful. And how I thought about myself, what I thought about myself growing up, that by the age of 10, 11, 12, I knew my place in the social strata. I knew my place in the world. It had already been defined for me. And I already gone to, I was on my fourth school by then, I think. We moved around a lot. I went to a lot of public schools. So trying to fit in everywhere I went caused a lot of friction for me in these situations and so i have had to probably until college i had to bury that i was a gamer i had to hide what i had i was doing it was shameful and it was not it was not anything that i actually ever wanted to engage others with unless i was in a game store or in a safe place and we use the phrase safe place a lot in the world and when i say that i mean a place where you feel comfortable being you and so game stores became the only place where that was possible. The problem was is that I had developed such – I don't know, self-loathing for my own gaming identity that when other gamers were obnoxiously unaware or obtuse about their own behavior, I, I wanted to keep away from that as well. So I, I myself, until I got to college, never felt like a gamer, never, ever, ever. So when I hear these people online continually berating themselves about – I don't know where to start with that. There's sort of this self-confidence issue with, well, I don't feel safe because I'm gay. I don't feel safe because I'm a woman. I don't feel safe because I'm transgendered. I don't feel like I belong in this hobby. So many of us went through that regardless of our gender, regardless of our race, regardless of our class. We went through it so much, at least I did, felt it so much permeating that to this day it still affects my identity and my ability to do certain things at a game table. We've talked about this, that I can't play a woman at a game table. I just can't. I'm not comfortable doing it. I will probably never feel comfortable doing it. And when I'm forced to do it by whatever convention is at the table, I'm usually playing a man in a woman's body. That's really the character that I've taken on. And so we're going to talk today about why it is that we got into the hobby in a little bit. But I I just wanted to say to people, and I know a lot of people are listening that already know this kind of stuff about us. You are not your dice. You are not your character sheet. You are not the games you play. Whatever it is that you are doing, whatever it is that is making you happy, even if it's Shadowrun, as much as I make fun of that. If you are playing any of these things and they're making you happy, that is – more important than what some shit stain strap hanger on RPG net is saying about anything that it is going to take a while for you to maybe get past some of that baggage because you were carrying even more social baggage than I was growing up gaming, but gaming is now an acceptable medium. And if people are making it difficult for you, they got to fuck off. That's the, only thing that I can really say, and I I know we've touched on this before, but forced identity, this idea that other people are allowed to say what you can play, that other people have to say who you can be, what kind of dice you can use, what kind of games you should be playing, all of this nonsense shit. There's so much crap going on in the world, and to fucking worry about what somebody is saying about what you're doing I don't know. That's That, to me, is the definition of toxic. And I don't think that that's gender-based. I don't think that's race-based. I don't think that's anything-based. I think bullshit is bullshit. And if we really need to start calling it out for what it is, let's just call it bullshit. Let's call them strap hangers. Let's call it ugly. And let's move on. And let's make it so that we can all talk about it instead of putting these fucking buzzwords on everything that bothers us. I, I think I'm done. I think I've kind of ranted enough i know i had more that i wanted to say but i lost my thread And i'm actually not in that bad of a mood so some of this was kind of hard to say in my state of mind so and i'm sorry i got personal
0: no don't don't be sorry i thought that was um a rather beautiful story you said in there and it um it's interesting because um for me it was exactly the opposite way Completely the opposite way. Just as you felt that you had to hide your gaming identity um, because of, you know, the repercussions that you may face if if you reveal yourself as a gamer. For me, I stopped having those consequences and those repercussions precisely when I started to come out as a gamer and have gamer friends around me. Um, because then is when I managed to find a place where I was actually safe from, from many things. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's interesting that um, precisely what the, that identity you felt you had to hide is exactly the identity that actually led me to become the person that I am today. Because it led me to find the friends that, you know, would define my life. And uh, defying my my personality so i i wonder if that um that was to do maybe with with the kind of uh, uh, the reasons why we were ostracized um at at school i i was very very severely bullied in in different schools in uh, two of them in fact um one less than the other uh, but I, I was i was bullied in both of them uh, and and it, it was precisely when I managed, because I didn't have that sort of identity, that sort of tribe that I could belong to, that yeah. um, bullies could feast on me because, you know, I, I was nothing, I had nothing. So that's that's a very vulnerable person, you know, to bully, which is exactly what bullies fucking do, assholes.
1: Well, I think you know that I keep people at arm's length. So I I spent most of high school with lots of friends from different, Clicks, mm-hmm. But I didn't have any close friends. I, not a single close friend in all of high school. And uh, I think a lot of that – a lot of that is one of the reasons why I wasn't bullied. I wasn't ever bullied because everybody I think can kind of sense that I didn't give a shit. And I think some of it was just th- – there was no reason. I was – I spent so little time at school. I raced to go work after school. I had two jobs. I actually had two jobs in high school, believe it or not. And, um, so for me, my identity was never gaming and I I don't think I, I still think to this day, maybe I don't define it as a gamer, but I really didn't feel like my friends were on the same wavelength as I was until I got to college. And even then I left college without any close friends. So
0: no, you see, I managed to go through life without any close friends until I was about 17 and a half, maybe 18 years old. Yeah, but and I mean, at all, you know, not not having a birthday parties because I didn't have any friends to have birthday parties with. It was only with my brothers and, and my cousins that 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 was all. Because I, I generally did not want to spend time with those assholes. I mean, even right. even till today, I really have nothing to do with anyone I ever went to school with. Absolutely nothing because they're a bunch of cunts. Uh, sorry. That's right. a bad word. I shouldn't use that word. That's a terrible word.
1: <laughs> it's a big deal in the states. It's not a big deal.
0: Oh no! In, I mean, in the United Kingdom, believe me, it is a very, very big deal. But I don't, I don't oh, like, I don't like using uh, body parts that are genitalia-based to to no, insult people. Enough. That's all. Um, well, I
1: say pricks all the time. I think we're going to need a caveat at the front of this, warning people how yeah. much cussing there is.
0: How is this? People we're gonna cuss a lot. Um get, yeah, yeah. I think
1: we're done cussing. We're about That's to start true, talking probably.
0: about it. <laughs> anyway,
1: so, so Paco, what brought you to gaming? What was it? What was the main attraction?
0: To be honest, people I I had really? yes, I, I had absolutely no interest in the game whatsoever when I when I came on to my first um my first game. Uh, no interest whatsoever. Uh, I, it was AD&D, and the only reason that I was interested in, in D&D is because of Dragonlance, um, which I think you know the story of how I got into into Dragonlance and what happened there. Um, and I had no, I really had no idea. I understood what the words role playing game meant, but I had no idea what to expect. And and I joined that because I thought, well, if these people also like the Dragonlance books, then you know, maybe we have something in common. Let's let's try this. And um the first A D and D game I ever played, it was as a rogue. And it was the Vecna Lives Campaign. Wow. Yeah. So talking about the baptism of fire. That was well, that it. came
1: out pretty late too. So if I recall right, Pecna lives. That was in the nineties.
0: That well, in Spain, that would have been uh, ninety odd, ninety one, maybe something like that. Ninety. Okay. Nineteen ninety one, something, something in those lines, I think.
1: I, yeah, I thought it now. was later. I remember playing it. So, but go on.
0: No, no, and and, and that was it. And and I was hooked. <coughs> I I was an absolutely terrible, 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 um, player. And looking back, we were such bad bad players and GMs. You know, we we played GMs versus all.
1: Yeah.
0: It was horrific, absolutely horrific looking back. But I had an absolutely wonderful time and I I still am in contact with most of the people I played from that first game. You know, with with Michelangelo, with Felipe, with Jose. Guillermo is still somewhere over there. Uh, Fernando is still around in Facebook as well, living in a different city. So, we we still get along. We still play, and and Jose became my best friend. So so that that's why I play, not because of the game. That's not how it started. I started because of the people.
1: So then, what keeps
0: you? Whew, that's a very good question. You know, I think I think what, main, what mainly keeps me is still the people, um, and I don't mean the. Average gamer. I'm, I'm not interested in in the average gamer, but I am very in this, interested in the industry per se. Firstly, I love reading. Which, considering that I have a fair bit of dyslexia, that is quite ironic. Uh, the, the, the reading is a hobby of mine, but right. I love reading, and I like to let my mind escape and invent stories. And I cannot imagine of a more inspiring medium to tell stories than role-playing games. It's it's way better than movies. It's better than comic books. It's a lot better than novels. Because there is no boundaries as to what you can do. When you watch a movie, you you are bound to the movie. Uh, and you can invent some things, but everything's been dictated by the movie itself. The looks, the right. feels, the scripts, the characters. Exactly the same as when, when there is a, 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 a comic book. You know, you have the look, the feel, the personalities, you have them all set up for you. Less so with novels where you can invent the visuals. You know, you may be giving a description, but you can invent the visuals so you have a bit more scope for imagination there. But with RPGs, precisely what they're doing is saying, do whatever the hell you like. This is a scenario. Make it yours. So I don't think there's anything that can be more inspiring than an RPG. And I love being inspired. I, I love inventing my own stories. But the thing that keeps me coming back again and again and again and again and again is is the industry itself. The people within the industry. They are amazing. Uh, generally speaking, uh, I I think I know a handful of of assholes within the gaming industry. Everyone else is is just an absolutely wonderful human being, and I love being part of that.
1: Well, you do a pretty good job of sifting through the assholes, though, too, and just getting rid of them quickly. Well, I think that that's a strength of yours is that you you gravitate to good people.
0: Well, I'm not interested in bad people. I, 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 I shouldn't say bad people. I don't think they are bad people. I think there are a couple of them who are bad people. But right. they are very, very, very much the exception. But for me, they're assholes. They, they are non, they're not thinkers. They're not carers. They, they are sure. not interested in anyone else or anything else other than their own vision of the game and the industry that they bring. I'm not interested in that. that that's petty and small-minded. I, I want to be surrounded by compassionate, nice, genuinely generous, gifted, wonderful right. people. And, and I, I'm very blessed. I know so many of them.
1: Right. And then, of course, the problem is is that the assholes like Ken Whitman sift to the surface. If if we could just build an industry full with all the people we like, would be great. But you've got your Ken Whitmans out there that that do a lot of damage to the hobby and give it a black eye over and over and over again. And they seem to continue to have careers. And I don't understand that when we all want to be around good people. We all want those kinds of people to succeed, but – well, people you, that, that make it to the top of this industry
0: are... You, wow. you know, I don't know enough about Kang to say something like that. I had him in Facebook for a bit.
1: Yeah, no, he's, he's a well-known cancer.
0: Well, I, I've heard that. I really have heard that an awful lot of times. And, and I remember once that there was a massive fight uh, between, I think it was James Mathe and him uh, and Kang. And I've, I found it very pathetic at the time because it was all a dick measuring competition.
1: Oh, yeah. You know, yeah, so yeah, J- yeah.
0: James would say, oh, I've done this. I've lo- this is who I am in industry. Yeah. And then Ken would come and say, well, no, but I've done this and this and you haven't done that yeah. and that as well and you've done it better. And it was a bit, wow. And, and, and Ken got uh, a huge amount of fire for something that uh, he had done. You know, so much that I felt sorry for him.
1: Are, are he's really- well, he's a well-known thief. He's a well-known person that d- does not finish projects. He loves to take credit for things that he may have only had a little bit of hand in doing. And so, yeah, those things backfire on him when the people that know him hear what he's saying. Um, and I've, I've dealt with him since my first days at Shadus. I remember his first phone call to me. So guys like that, um, You know, you see through them pretty quickly, and then you wonder why the rest of the industry doesn't. I don't know how we got on this tangent. This is a horrible tangent when we're trying to talk about why we like the hobby. Well, no, but
0: we're we're talking about you know the the assholes within within the industry as well, and and how they are very, very much the exception. Now, I'm not I'm not going to talk about. The personal qualities of Kang, you know, um, because he may be a wonderful human being who just happens to be unethical. Uh, and, um, <laughs> and again, I, I really don't know enough what
1: about What a sociopathic combination.
0: Yeah, well, exactly. You know, he may be, at the know, looking after kittens and puppies and, you know, um, adopting children or whatever it is. And then he gets onto his, pro- his professional hat. Uh, and he happens to be a douchebag. I don't know. I, I, cannot, I cannot really say. Um, he, he certainly is a person that um, I'm not particularly interested in getting to know because I've heard enough people saying bad things about him that I don't want the risk of those things being true. So I just can be, can be bothered. But generally speaking, um, you know, people in the industry are pretty excellent. Really excellent. And I, I really, really love being part of that. I really enjoy it. So how about you?
1: How about me? Did why did I get into the hobby? Yeah, there's um, there was a newsletter for kids in fifth grade called Scholastics, here in the states. You probably do not have it there. We do not. And um, I think it was a dollar ten, if I recall, to subscribe for the entire year. And I somehow scrounged the money together because uh, I really liked reading it um, in school, and so the, it would get delivered to you every week or every month in your classroom. And the teacher would hand it out to the kids that had subscribed. So I I got Scholastics, and there was an issue about Dungeons & Dragons, talking about this new game that kids were playing. Not kids my age, they were showing high schoolers and, and college students playing this game around a table, but it had miniatures and it had blocks, and I mean, I was just blown away. I was fifth grade, I'd never seen anything like it, and all the... The best game I would played up until that time probably was Monopoly or Ooh. something along those lines. The kind of crappy board games that we had in the seventies. Because I mean, let's be honest, family board games in the seventies were shit. Yeah. And uh, so I think, and I loved games. I loved. I used to play Canasta with my aunt and uncle when I was a kid. So I knew how to play adult kind of parlor games, but I didn't. I didn't ever see anything as awesome as Dungeons and Dragons or any of the board games by Avalon Hill. I'd never heard of them. So I immediately knew that that's what I wanted to play, but I didn't get to play for another year until I went to junior high school and I met kids that actually had it because I couldn't afford it. I couldn't afford to buy Dungeons and Dragons. And it was only $12 for the for the box, but it was just something out of my range. And so I met this kid. I want to say his name was Aaron or Adam. He was Adam. Uh, and there was another kid, Steve, that I played with. And We would play one-on-one games because we could never get together in groups. And then throughout high school, junior high school and high school, we moved around so much I could never get a regular group. So I would constantly sit in my room making up characters and drawing up dungeons. And I was a real uh, nerd for charts. So I would make charts for everything. Every freaking thing you can conceive of, I was building charts for. I had a D1000 chart of food I remember I had made Mm -hmm. in high school. And then I got to college and I met this guy, Doug Powell. I don't know where Doug is now. We've lost touch. But Doug gave me a critique of my DMing style one night after a game session in the dorms. And I did a complete 180 in within a day. I completely changed how I role played and I stopped worrying about mechanics, I stopped worrying about numbers, and I became a storyteller. And I this whole hobby, my whole existence in the hobby, you can trace back to Doug.
0: So why, why did you become a professional though? Because Uh, I
1: don't know. I do not know. If I could do it over again, I probably wouldn't.
0: I think most people.
1: I'm that soured on it, to be honest.
0: I think most people would think exactly the same thing. Do you? Do you think? Okay, let's um, let's assume that you're sour there because I personally, and this is, I don't know if anybody else feels the same way. I don't care, but I personally feel you don't get anywhere near enough um, recognition for the kind of work that you do. Basically, I see that there is a, out there a lot of really, really, really bad work from very, very untalented writers who get a lot more sales than you do. And I don't get it. I think uh, I've told you this to your uh, Facebook face that it is because you are absolutely terrible at marketing. But even mm-hmm. so, um, I, I, I think probably is that, is that why you are sour about the whole thing or is it something um. else?
1: I mean, if I was perfectly honest with myself, that's probably 1% of the truth. I really don't give a fuck who's selling what and who's doing what. I, I mean, I get sick of the popularity contest. I get sick of looking at certain games in the indie market and thinking, how the fuck is that still on a bookshelf somewhere? So that gets under my skin. But I can't be mad or sad for somebody else's success. It is what it is. I think I just get sick of the fight to even make people aware of what I'm doing. It feels like a war. And there's a couple of great people, right? We talk about the people that we like in the industry mm-hmm. an awful lot on the show. There's I talk with Gareth almost every day now, and he he is such a great cheerleader. And I used to have some other great cheerleaders. Um, Tim Hidalgo is a great cheerleader. I love Tim. Um, I used to have some other cheerleaders. And when people's drama get in the way of me being able to do my job. There was a guy, uh, I won't say his name, but we were really good friends. A year and a half we talked. I was helping him design games, get his company going. I made a logo for him. I was constantly giving advice. I was helping him build a Kickstarter. I told him I would help him write it so that he would have a professional's name attached to the project. And I was for weeks and weeks and weeks. I even got a map commission for him. For weeks and weeks and weeks, I'm just following up. Where is this? Where is this? Where is this? And then after three months on this project I said you know what I just cannot devote any more energy if you're going to drop yet another project that you sort of started and I think those kind of things I love this hobby so much I love doing what I do so much but every single negative moment drags me down further than it should and that is probably because I'm 20 years invested in this hobby and I'm Feel like I'm still, I'm a, still a schnook at the bottom of the barrel, fighting my way up against people with no talent.
0: Yeah, and, and you know, I wonder. Um, and, and so maybe I
1: did th- just agree with everything you said, I but just in did. a different way. Um,
0: yeah, in a very long. Sorry. Yeah, no, not bad. Don't be sorry. I like it when you agree with me. Uh, it, it, it it validates me. Um, but you know why? Why is there? And, and this is this is something I genuinely don't understand, okay, why is there that I can see around me, okay, this is very personal, but around me and even on on the internet, I can see so many truly clever, uh, witty, intelligent people out there that end up absolutely falling in love with the crappiest shit out there and people who produce, who, are again, they are really really clever people and they end up producing some insanely shit material and people buy it why there is no other hobby out there apart from music where the bad can get so high why
1: that's a really well a lot of that is just lowest common denominator that's really easy to define um i mean just look at games like munchkin and zombies they're so empty and vapid, and yet they're everybody's yeah. favorite games. I, I don't get that. I, I'm not trying to denigrate their their successes, right? If people like what you're making, good on you, but I they're so empty. I just don't get it. Um, I was really hoping we would actually dovetail into this because I have two stories. Okay. One is about Chad Walker. He just re- released Cryptomancer, which he told me his sales numbers. And without a Kickstarter and without ever having made anything else in the hobby, he – he has sold more copies of that role-playing game than I have of any single one of my books, which – good on him, right? But he's now feeling the burn of that success as all these entitled RPG strap hangers are complaining up the yin-yang about what's missing and what needs to be fixed. And now he's got to produce a free PDF for fans. And that's the kind of thing that I I think is – is unhealthy uh especially for a newcomer because now he's setting an, a standard that oh if i screw up i'm gonna make free pdfs for people to cover this material that they think is missing when it's not he made the game he wanted to make it's a fantastic game but it doesn't have enough of a world so they're all bitching because they were expecting a world uh the other story i wanted to tell was about um I wrote this article a year ago. Do you remember uh, why R- why sci-fi RPGs suck? Do you remember this one? Uh, yes. Okay. Somebody on Google Plus, somebody on Google Plus, found it and relinked it, and it generated this huge discussion. And some people were bitching and arguing and about it. And I chimed in a little bit here, there, because I was tagged in it, and I, I, I got involved in the conversation. And then I started to get a little agitated with the conversation, as you can imagine. I do, and I'm talking with people who want to get off the thread. And so I went to Facebook with the post and I said, Hey, I posted this a year ago. I really, it was just an exercise. I was just trying to examine why I think sci-fi games suck. There's a lot in here, but you know, I, I actually haven't thought about it in the year. So I just wanted to let everybody know that I'm kind of annoyed I was just kind of venting, getting out of my system. And it took maybe five, 10 responses before people were doing the same exact thing In that thread that people were doing in the Google Plus thread, which is bitching about things that have nothing to do with the article and talking about why aren't you bringing up fantasy games that suck? Why aren't you bringing up these other hard science fiction games that do succeed? Yada, yada, yada. And that leads to all these other conversations. And I led the article leads with the the disclaimer. If you have a game that you like that works for you in sci-fi, good on you. Keep playing it. I'm merely expressing my experiences with sci-fi games and why they suck. And so I end up having to have the same – the point of all of this is I keep having to have these same conversations all the time on the small minutia level when I feel that my, my place anyway in the hobby anymore is to ask the big questions, to find solutions to the big questions or at least foment conversation about the big questions. And I, I think that that scares people these big questions because then it unravels all their belief systems about what what a game is to begin with and then i look like the asshole because i'm fed up with all the threadjacking okay i that was kind of a tangent but i think it plays into what we're talking about
0: uh, yes uh you know I'm, I'm going to go back to your story uh about Cryptomanzer. i you know why i think these things happen and I'm going to say something here that's going to upset an awful lot of professionals. I think that sort of things happen because people who try to be professional in this industry more often than not, they're really, really far, far, far from being professional about it. And they don't understand what being professional, a professional author and publisher is all about. And, and I yeah. know this is rich coming from somebody who's not published uh, a, a book or anything. Right. But,
1: but you're associated enough now. You've asked enough questions in the three, four, five, ten years you've been on this podcast with various people that you interview and you know how the process works. Oh, you're yeah, not yeah. clueless about it anymore.
0: No, no, no. I'm not I'm far from from. I mean, I'm far from being clueless about the whole thing. Uh, and most importantly, I, I have, I think, and this is quite, important. I have a distance perspective. So I can, because I have worked in different creative industries, you know, I've I've worked in web design, I've worked in advertising, I have worked in the 3D industry, both as a salesperson and as an animator. And I have worked as a photographer. Um, I've I've worked, you know, in e-learning for years and years and years. So I I think I have enough of a... um, a company or industry acumen to be able to, to understand and realize when people are actually making mistakes. You know, like promising the world just because somebody's complaining. You know, you, yeah. What, yeah, there's, yeah. there's a difference between customer service and bending over to be fucked, um, which, which is something that, you know, I think people like Zach is doing. You know, you, you don't bend over um, because people are saying, oh, you, you haven't given me what I wanted. Well, hello. You know, I don't have to. Yeah. Uh, you yeah. paid for yeah, what yeah, you yeah. got. That's it. And I, I think that's possibly the biggest problem that the RPG industry has. It doesn't have enough real, true professionals.
1: Um, yeah, I'll agree with that. I, but I think the consumers bear a little bit of that responsibility too. the The consumers don't want to risk their precious three dollars on a PDF that may not deliver the world for them.
0: No, that, and, you're, you're right.
1: And the, if the consumers continue to pick up stupid gun porn book after stupid gun porn book from Shadowrun for $5 and it's 70 new guns on these charts and that's what they think $5 is worth and then they come over and they buy something from somebody else like Chad's game for 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 $10 I think the PDF is, and it's a completely different animal that isn't filled with gun porn and basically says this is a bog fantasy – a bog standard fantasy world. You know, you don't need to – you can just supplant this into anything that you're running. As soon as people see it, they're like, what? What? You're making fun of all fantasy that it's all the same? Yeah, all fantasy is the same. I, I don't need to make another fantasy world for you to, to make a good fantasy game. And when people see that, it doesn't play into the typical itch that gets scratched by those splat books, that are those traditional books that go, that are, that been the same for 20, 30 years.
0: Mm, definitely. I don't
1: think, I don't think a Shadowrun book today is any different than a Shadowrun book that came out 20 years ago or 25 years ago, however long it's been. I think, I think the quality is probably worse than it used to be, but I think they're the same exact content in the same exact order.
0: You know, I I wouldn't have a clue because I've only seen one Shadowrun book, the first one that came out in Spain. And I tried to read it and we tried to play it. And when came the moment when we had to roll 15 D60s, we thought, no, 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 no. Let's go back to D&D. And we didn't bother anymore. And then we played Vampire. Right. Um, You know, the one thing that, and actually, I think we have touched on this at one point, one single point, uh, which is ironic because of what I'm about to say. Why are there so many supplements for the same games? You know, why are there so many, oh, 101 forest spells? So why? you
1: you actually – you want a real answer to this because yeah, the real answer is going to make everybody in the world sad.
0: OK. Why?
1: OK. So I pick a game company. I don't care. Um, we'll say White Wolf because actually White Wolf, I, I like a lot of what they make. Um, they're Onyx now, right? Does White Wolf onyx make anything?
0: On, yeah, Onyx, yeah.
1: So they have enough employees employed that they have a set expense every single month. I, Jim Pinto at home, my set expense is food right my set expenses is rent mm-hmm. that is it i don't have a uh, 401k that i have to put money into i don't have health plans i don't have employees and so if i had all of that and i don't want that i would have to put games out at a specific rate every year just to cover my costs i would have to put out 12 books every year regardless of quality mm-hmm. i've got to get them out the door on a specific date and so When you are running something like Shadowrun or you're running something like Eclipse Phase or you're running something like Mech Warrior, those products have to have four, five, six different sourcebooks every year attached to them just to keep them alive to pay the people that are working for that company. Instead of making these standalone games that will feed the one or two employees of the company, they hire ten people and now they have to justify – those people through producing a constant stream of of crap we made a lot of crap for l5r back in the day we made some good books too but a lot of that stuff i mean that weapons book we made for third edition might be one of the worst things i've ever seen in a role playing game (laughs) and we made it i'm gladly say that it was horrible and i mean that was just to get another book out the door
0: yeah but why do people buy them That's what I don't get. I mean, that I
1: can't. I think they've been trained, right? I think they've been trained to believe that they need to keep up with all the splat books, Um, and you know, once that training kicks in, you'll see. I mean, you see diminished returns, right, across the line. If I drew a graph for you, um, the the core book might sell, say, ten thousand copies if you're lucky, for a role playing game. But your first expansion out the door isn't going to sell more than 2000 ever. And then every expansion after that sells worse and worse. So your art budgets go down. Your writing budgets go down. Because you'll never get a spike back up after a bad book. So the graph is a constant decline on, a, on an IP, on a game line for everybody. There is And anybody that's listening that thinks that it's different and wants to argue with me, they can. But this is 99% true.
0: <laughs> that sounds damning.
1: Yeah, yeah and that's – the same thing is true with phones nowadays, right? Phones sell under the same exact logic. An iPhone, the day it comes out, is the toy that you need to have. But they don't maintain the sales that first day that they have for the next two years, so they have to come out with a new iPhone. Who needs a new iPhone? What function is going into a new smartphone that you actually need so phones have become toys. They become the technical toys that are the equivalent of role playing games. And now that PDFs exist, the role playing toy that goes out is even easier and cheaper too. There's less risk. Your risk now is art and writing.
0: That's still a pretty big risk though, because I mean well, no, you're right. Actually, it's not that big a risk because people are prepared to put up with some shitty writing and some shitty artwork.
1: Yep. There's a Company out there, I do not know the name of them. They put out, they are, they put out the worst trash for D and D PDFs I've ever seen. And what they do is they'll buy all that stock art that is on DriveThrough RPG. And there's over five thousand pieces of stock art. I've gone through it all. Actually, I did this recently. I went through all the stock art on DriveThrough RPG just to see what was available. And I think I found a hundred images that were usable. But what these this little company will do is they'll buy up all this art for fantasy that they can use, they'll put it into a book, and then they'll use that art four or five times in that book for different role-playing systems. So you have an OSR stat block for it. You have a, a third edition or 3.5 blo- stat block, a Pathfinder stat block, and now a fifth edition stat block or a fourth edition stat block. So this art gets used over and over and over again that they paid $3 for. It gets printed five times in the same book. And so they're putting out a $20 PDF that's 300 pages. But really the content in there that you're actually going to use is somewhere in the neighborhood of 10 pages. Wow and And this is a business model for some of these companies, right and i I find it abhorrent because it's so transparent to me, and I don't know how it's not transparent to the consumer
0: well, I don't know that's the one thing that genuinely puzzles me about about the um the, the whole uh, gaming community you know the fact and I don't mean to say this um to denigrate them you know people i like some crappy games okay and i'm quite happy to to admit to it and, and I, I i enjoy playing them and i don't have an issue with that at all okay um this is coming from the person who bought the whole DD fourth edition series everything that they came out every everything was purchased um but i wonder why People are so ready to keep buying the same thing time and time again and defending it as something that is great and amazing. I I personally don't understand why anyone need another 500 spell grimoire or another um, you know 300 feats for weaponry. I, I just don't get why that it's necessary. Why anybody think that's necessary?
1: Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. We've gone way off for why we're in the hobby too. Oh, why are you in the hobby?
0: <laughs> yeah. Why is the hobby in the hobby?
1: Why are you in the hobby? sir, if all you want is gun porn. Um, I don't. I don't know. I think there's a completionist mentality that exists in the hobby. I'm sure. I know that I have it. Right. I've never played Fallout, the video game, because I know that if I play any edition of that, it will ruin me time-wise I will never stop playing because it's a time sink and I know I'm a completionist and I'm just going to try to find every little thing that I can find so I don't pick up those games I don't get to play them because I know of my addictive personality when it comes to that kind of stuff but when it comes to role-playing games I'm I just pick up things now that I that look interesting, and I just pick up the one PDF. I'm not interested in any of your future ideas. Same with Vampire. I actually don't buy the Splat books for Vampire, and it's probably my favorite big name game. But all I buy is the core book every time it comes out,
0: which is fair. Enough. And, is and then I
1: I make up my own stuff for it because, well, I'm a writer.
0: Yes, uh, I'll i going back onto the why are we in the industry. Let's let's go uh, a little bit the opposite. Where do you see yourself? within the gaming, uh, I mean, gaming-wise, where do you see yourself in five years' time?
1: I don't know. I don't know. I'm doing this year-to-year at the moment, to be honest. I know what my next five projects are.
0: No, I don't mean as a professional. I mean as a gamer.
1: As a gamer? Yeah. I see myself probably playing less and less and less and less. I I, know. I, I think it's harder to get together with people. I think... I think the older that gamers get, the less time they want to devote to this, the more it feels like a liability or a chore. They have families. They have jobs. They have what they consider real-world time occupations. And so it's just harder and harder. Some of my best gaming friends, the people that I enjoy spending the most time with, I haven't gamed with in six, seven months. Wow. And the best gamer I know, his name is Aaron Kutzman. He lives down in Long Beach, California. I see him once a year. But, I mean, he's the kind of guy I used to game every week with. And that happens. You know, people move apart. People, you know, he has two kids now, so he wouldn't have time for it anyway.
0: I know. I think families are the number one RPG enemy.
1: I I have to be honest about this. I love gaming so much that when I was 25, 26, and all my friends started getting married... It made no sense to me because one, yeah. I never wanted to get married, <laughs> but two, I knew you're getting married. What? How, when are you going to game? I don't understand. How are you going to game if you're married? And, and, you didn't, and, it, also- I, and I know that's a really immature thing to think, but, no, but at the true. time, I was so obsessed with gaming. I love gaming. I worked at two different game stores. That's how much I loved gaming.
0: I I have to admit, that. When when I was younger, and you know, in my early twenties, and any of my friends got a girlfriend, I would look at them very weird if their girlfriends were not into gaming themselves, which they never were. Right. Yeah, I was like, wait a second, she's not into games. You know what? What were you thinking? Why are you even dating her? She's not a gamer. Why are you dating her? So so when my friend um, Jose, particularly Jose. He got together with a girl who actually was very much into you know, gaming. That was like, oh, yeah, baby, you're welcome to the club now. You are absolutely fine. You can marry him. Yeah. <laughs> it was great. Uh, then they split up. Um, but never mind. Um, that's my, a story.
1: my Tuesday night gaming group, uh, it's every two weeks. There's four of us in it. And anybody that shows up, it's open, right? We're a different game every week. So it's open. We advertise on Meetup. No, we're all married. None of us have uh, partners at game. And I think that's why we're together as a group, because they need we all need that day away from from married life.
0: Well, you know, gaming is all about escapism.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know,
0: it's about getting away, whether it is in your head or uh, your immediate surroundings, but it is about getting away. And I think that is such a wonderful thing to be able to do, because as you said, there's so much shit going on around us.
1: And it, Which brings you all the way back to my original rant, which is... If you're in this hobby and you're doing it, you're doing it because it brings you pleasure. You're doing it because you need this. I think we all need this. And if there's people out there golfing on the weekend and that's socially acceptable, going out there and pretending you're Tiger Woods, but playing at home and being with your friends and pretending that you're killing a dragon is somehow not socially acceptable because everybody's got some sort of agenda as what the gaming industry should look like. I think that's kind of fucked up.
0: Very. very. And
1: if you're a man and you want to play a woman or if you are a man and you want to have a character that has emotions or feelings and you think that it's not manly to do that, that is a problem with something outside of gaming. Oh, yeah. That has nothing to do with us.
0: Definitely. Oh, definitely. You see, because, um, you know, what I mentioned at the beginning that... um, My my gaming identity is what provided me with some some sort of safety net. That also gave me the confidence to argue with people when they said anything about RPGs. Uh, And I think uh, both you in the US and we in Spain have had an awful lot of stigma associated with RPGs for different reasons. Uh, You know, in in the US it was anything to do with uh, witchcraft and Satanism. Oh, yeah. Um, and, and in Spain, it was all to do with, a cap- with, with one particular murder uh, that happened in the early 90s. So I, I actually grew up defending myself against this. And I used to find, and still do find, an awful lot of very, very simple um, replies to, to, to shut people up. You know, because I, I cannot believe that anyone wearing a, a football or soccer t shirt uh, can tell me that playing games is weird. You know, I say, like, well, you are cosplaying your favorite, your favorite player. Right. You know, right. and they look at me, this is a footy T-shirt. Yeah, that's, that's cosplay. You are in cosplay, mate. So don't, don't give me that shit. Uh, you know, why is it acceptable for you to wear that T-shirt? And it's not acceptable for me to wear, you know, my chainmail bikini.
1: Uh, we're, we're getting back to culture and cultural appropriation, actually, kind of with that statement, right? It's always been acceptable to be part of the big tribe. Yes. Whatever your culture's big tribe is, it's always socially acceptable, no matter exactly. s- how stupid it is. Exactly. Halloween is one of the dumbest things we do in America. It is absolutely our stupidest holiday, and yet it's the number one holiday for adults in America. Well, I, so I, how I, much I, escapism do people actually really cl- crave? that they wait all year long for this one hobby where they get to pretend that they're a, a clown or a slut. I don't really know what you go as, to as Halloween. I don't do well, it, but whoever's listening they must dress as something because I they wait to, all year for that fucking holiday.
0: Well, I, I used to love Halloween in the UK uh, in Spain. We don't celebrate this much because we all live or most of us living uh, blocks or flats so right. you, you kind of have children really coming up and downstairs you know in the in the block of flats but in the UK where you have little houses with gardens you know and um, and porches and stuff uh, we used to have it I used to absolutely love Halloween uh because I, I I would traumatize children and I used to love doing it I, I I used to um go to some friends' house they they lived in a council state uh full of very very chubby uh trash people trashy people
1: and yeah, I know what chavs are.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but mo- most of the American listeners will not want know yeah. what the chav is. It's trashy people.
1: Chav- uh, chavs are worse than straw hangers, from just from my perspective. They are the lowest of the low. They're worse than our juggalos here in the states.
0: Yeah, they're horrible. Anyway, so I I, I would um, I bought a um, smoke machine, and we would fill up the entrance of my friend's house with smoke, and. I would dress up with a black robe, I would paint my face with pistachio green paint, red eyes and stick a couple of um, uh, horns on, on my head and when they call, the children call trick-or-treating, uh, we have the lights turned off, uh, so it was very much in in dim, dim twilight my friend Chris would open the door very, very fast so the smoke would come out of the door and I would get out screaming something in the lines of uh, and, and this is going to sound very loud, I'm sorry, but screaming something in the lines of right. like that. Right. And I tell you And I know this makes me possibly a really, really horrible human being, but I don't care. I genuinely don't care. My proudest night, one of the proudest nights of my entire life is when I made 17 children cry in one evening.
1: (laughs) It would have been great if it had been all at once.
0: No, no, it wasn't one evening. One of them, however, however, one of them, and this is, you know... I could put this in my CV. He was 17 years old. And cried. And I have only felt bad doing this twice. You
1: shouldn't feel it. I I don't know why you would feel bad.
0: Well, no. Once I felt bad because um, you opened the door and I made this massively horrible scream which at the end of the night would completely wreck my throat. And suddenly... There appears this tiny, tiny little witch. She must have been oh, maybe yeah. one, meter old, one meter tall. She was tiny. She must have been three years old or so. Dressed in this absolutely gorgeous little witch costume with her big, massive, pointy hat that was as tall as she was. And this pumpkin little bag that she was carrying. And suddenly she did, <gasps> and stepped back. I looked at me trembling and didn't know what to do. So I got the, um, the little, uh, the, the, you know, the, the bowl with sweets that we had. And I knelt down and said, do you want a sweetie? <laughs> and she looked at me with teary eyes and said, no. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, you're a bad person. Yes. Yeah.
0: I, feel really bad. I felt really, really bad. And and, you um,
1: you should. I just told you. Yeah. So so I
0: happy birthday. Thank you. And I I said to her, "Oh, come on! I'm really a good demon." And and then she (laughs) got one. (laughs) The parents were about you know a couple of yards behind, and they were laughing their pants. They they were horrible parents. And the second time I felt bad about it, is when I did the whole thing, and the guy at the door was in a wheelchair. And he jumped <laughs> and he said to me, no, um, he said, please, don't, don't, don't do this to me. Um, and I said, do you want So he me? said, no, please don't, don't do this to me um, because I don't have a way of knowing if I shot myself or not. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so, wow. So, <laughs> exactly. So those are the twice when I felt a little bit bad about the whole thing. But screaming children, making them cry, and, and seeing them run away, and me thinking that that night they're going to have nightmares because of me, I am truly, truly and genuinely proud of that. And I am a psychotherapist. Yeah. <laughs> really, awesome. I, I am. So <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a really bad. If I were in a superhero comic, I would be the baddie.
1: Well, I'm going to finally be the guy that says this. I think we've gone off the rails far enough that we've covered our topic. (laughs) Usually I'm the guy driving the the train off the cliff, but you, sir, you win this week.
0: Yes, I I have excelled. Thank you. Thank you very much.
1: I I think we should tell people that we're eventually going to have a guest on the show. We just don't know who and in what order because we've been trying to contact people and their schedules are kind of wonky.
0: Yes. And you know what? I would like people, please, to suggest some topics uh, of conversation. What would you like to us to talk about? Um, seriously, what are you interested in? Because usually it's just Jim and I having a chat. Uh, and usually, you know, this is the kind of chat we have outside podcasting. It's just that when we podcast, we're you know, a little bit dirtier, <laughs> I guess. Yeah, I have my
1: pants on this time. So.
0: I, I'm wearing nothing. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> oh no! It's not true, but I'll leave you with that image oh. anyway because it's already Happy there. Happy birthday. Thank you. So, listeners, thank you very, very much once again for being there. Uh, hopefully, at some point in our lifetime, we are going to break the record in the weirdest episode ever. Uh, and I think we're doing really well um, to do that. But anyway, thank you very much for being there. Please uh, remember to get in touch with us and let us know what you would like us to discuss in future episodes. And get in touch on Twitter. I am at GMS Magazine. You can also find me on Facebook under my name, Paco Jaeng. If you can spell that, you well, great, good for you. Um, but let me know what you want. Thank you.
1: Am I going now or should we just hang up?
0: I don't know, up to you. You, Do you want to say anything else? Yeah, let's just hang up. Okay, bye.